How's everybody doing? We're, we're a little running a little late this week. Yeah, things happened. Yeah. I threw up all over my van. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I still haven't cleaned it. <laughs> yeah. Which you, I'm not cleaning it. You no, I need to clean it. it, yes. But I was severely dehydrated yesterday, I guess, because I slept off and on all day. Yeah. And I still had a migraine. I still have one today, but I'm better. I guess. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're better, you guess. I mean, I'm awake for now. For now. Yeah. After I woke you up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably could have slept another six hours. I know. That's why I woke you up. Otherwise, you'd still be in bed. Um, my body needed it, I guess. I guess. Go to a sleep study and then you don't sleep. Well, no, I had to leave because I threw up. <laughs> I, I had a migraine from no caffeine. Caffeine's a drug. You got to ease yourself off of it. So um, it's like like heroin or alcohol or nicotine. It's a drug. You get addicted to it. Your body needs it once you start putting it in there. Well, it's. I mean, it's fine. I can I can go a day without caffeine on my own when I don't have a migraine. But when I wake up with a migraine and I'm refuse the the right to have caffeine and all my medications have caffeine in it or um refuse the right to take a nap and my one migraine medicine that doesn't have caffeine in it knocks me out it was a catch-22 i was screwed from the get-go yeah well and the fact you take a lot of medications they all have caffeine a lot of them have caffeine in them and they have caffeine in them you weren't allowed to take them so that didn't help anything but What's done is done. We're getting out here. We're getting it recorded. And uh, here we go. Yay. So I'm Kevin. I'm Stephanie. Welcome back to Open a Fucking Book. Uh, Starting a new, I'm not going to say author. Uh, Find out why in here in a second. It's going to be a one-off. It's going to be our first single episode uh, series. So it's just. So it's not a series. It's still a series. No, series means more than one. It's a series of one. So it's an episode, not a series. It's a series. Like uh, like with with baseball. And you go into the World Series, the playoffs. And you have the wild card game. It's still technically the wild card series, even though it's just the one game to find out who who goes on. It's still a series. It's just one. Mm, That's not the definition of series. Well, it's our definition. For Mm. today, anyway. That's your definition. Which is, I'm the one who edits the podcast, so that's really all that matters. Okay, Okay. whatever. All right, well. Today's episode is brought to you by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with Restaurant.com. Used for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. And and you don't know who this is because I want to see your reaction. When I you have any idea? No, you haven't been, given me any clues. Okay. Nothing. Good. So today we will be going back further than we ever have before, possibly ever will. The subject of today's one part series is somewhat of a mystery, in the fact that uh, he probably didn't even write his most famous works because he probably didn't know how. On top of that, we don't even know if he was a he, a she, several he's or she's over the course of centuries of oral composition. The place of his birth is limited to one, seven different places. The time of his life and death span upwards of 
four to five hundred years. It's hard to know what year you were born in when your birth predates the calendar. Known less as an author and more of a poet, his two epic poems are still to this day the bar to what other poets and authors set for themselves. He was called the educator of all Greece by Plato himself. There are many varying theories on his life, death, poems, and everything in between. So much so that it created its own highly debated subject of discussing, discussion, the Homeric question. And on this episode, we will try to lay it all out for you, give you our opinions, and let you come to your own conclusions. The works, the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the Homeric hymns. The poet is the one or many, the only or not, Homer. I love Homer. (laughs) Now, our references for this include uh, NotableBiographies.com, CourseHero.com, Biography.com, TheFamousPeople.com, and, ironically enough, CliffNotes.com. and for, for those of you, uh, you obviously can't see my wife, but when uh, I was building up to it, her, her face was morphing at first, trying to figure out who the fuck I was talking about. And then her eyes got kind of big and she started smiling and squeezing herself because she was all excited because it's Homer. I love anything to do with Greek mythology. I know. That's why I kept this one secret from you because I wanted to see what your reaction was. Now, through the course of this episode, there will be many names that I probably fuck up horribly. Because you shouldn't have nine cons- nine vowels next to each other in a name. Just, But I will try as hard as I can, and I'm sure my lovely wife will correct me several times. I will do my best. Okay. So, Stephanie, before we get going, tell everybody, tell me, what you know or what you think you know about Homer. He wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Again. Writing, probably not the right word for it, because he, writing, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, writing wasn't really a thing that existed yet. Okay, so he he spoke them. Yes. But even in that. Recited them. But even in that, you may be wrong. Goes into the myth of Homer. Yes. Anything else that you, you remember from high school that we were taught about Homer which we were uh, one of the many things we were probably taught incorrectly. Uh, high school is so long ago. I'm oh, tired. Um, no, not really. Okay. I'll probably think of some things once you jog my memory. I'm I'm sure that you will. You'll be like, oh yes, I remember that. Now I will quickly tell you that. Well, that was probably false, <laughs> because uh, as you're going to find out, a lot of what we think we know about Homer, good chance it's not true. Or I might confuse some things with Homer Simpson and the Homer. Yeah, anytime you look up stuff on Homer, you always have to kind of dissect it between what is Homer and what is Homer. You know, what is Iliad and Odyssey and what is dope. Dope. Yeah. So, here we go. Now, much speculation surrounds when Homer was even born because of the lack of real information about him. Guesses at his birth date range from 750 B.C. all the way back to 1200 B.C. The latter because the Iliad encompasses the story of the Trojan War. So some scholars have thought it it fit to put the poet and the chronicler near the time of the actual events. He could not have described the topography of the region in such detail unless he himself had been there at that time. For example... Homer writes that the sea god Poseidon, sitting on the highest peak of the island of Samarathris, watched the city of Priam and the ships of the Achaeans. Again, I'm sure I'm just destroying that. Homer could not have written that just by following the maps because he would have found the view blocked by the island of Imbros. It is only in modern day that we find that indeed the plane could be see from the could be seen from the five thousand feet high peak of Samarathrace, or Samarathrace, over a notch shoulder of Imbros. Therefore, they argue, he must have climbed the peak and watched the ships and the city before he put Poseidon on it. 
Moreover, there is no way Homer could have known that a prehistoric fortified citadel did exist at that site known today as Hizalorik, Hizarlik, H-I-S-S-A-R-L-I-K, Hizarlik. Does that sound okay to you? Sure. Okay. I can't tell without looking at it. Okay. Before it was discovered by Henrik Schulman by the 19th century A.D. Therefore, he must have lived in the 12th century B.C. to write in such great detail about Troy. Again, not really writing, more speaking. But in the Odyssey, the situation is in many respects quite different. The poet demonstrates that he knew the western Greek islands of Ithaca, where the second half of the epic takes place, as well as the poet of the Iliad knew the plains of Troy. The Odyssey, however, also extends over many strange distant lands as Odysseus' homeward voyage from Troy to his native Ithaca is transformed into a bizarre sea-wandering adventure. Perhaps misled by the accuracy with which the Trojan plain is described in the Iliad and the islands of Ithaca is pictured in the Odyssey, various modern researchers have tried to impose the same realism on Odysseus's astonishing voyage, selecting actual sites in the western Mediterranean Sea for his adventures. The true situation must be that Homer of the Odyssey had never visited that part of the ancient world, but he had instead Listen to the stories of returning Ionian sailors who explored the Western Seas during the 7th century B.C. So, when was he alive? Because couldn't be alive in both the 12th and the 7th century. Or they could be complete works of fiction. Or myth. Well, obviously, they're works of fiction and myth, but the Iliad is very detailed on the geography and the topography of Troy, which existed. There was a, a, a you know, Trojan War happened, uh, and it, it covers the last few months of that. But that happened in the twelfth, in the yeah, the twelfth century, thirteenth century. So if he's living in the 7th century, how would he know about that? How would he be able to detail it so great? But if he was living in the 12th century or the 13th century, how well how would he be able to hear the stories from Ionian sailors that didn't explore the western seas until the 7th century? Maybe he was like Socrates and Plato and all of them and predicted it. Or maybe they're two different people. That could be. One story passed down from years and years of oral composition and all of a sudden now they need some type of sequel to go with it and somebody came up with it. That is a theory. There are many theories about this. Now, as to where he was born, it's a whole other story. In ancient times, the inhabitants of seven different cities had claimed that he was born in their city. However, such claims have never been validated, and no archaeological remains have ever been found. Scholars today believe that Homer must have resided in some part of eastern Greece or Asia Minor. They have specifically pinpointed three cities as his place of birth. Iona, and an Aeolian settlement called Smyrna, both located in Asia Minor, and the island of Chios, situated in the Aegean Sea, close to the Anatolian coast. There are various reasons for such assumptions. For example, the dialect he had used was mainly Ionic, mixed with a little bit of Aeolic. Such Ionic-Aeolic mixture was mainly used in the border areas between Iona and Aeolus and also in the island of Chos. The dialect helped help narrow down his lifespan by coinciding it with the development and usage of language in general. But the Iliad and the Odyssey were so popular that this particular dialect became the norm for much of Greek literature going forward. 
So you can only put so much stock in, oh, well, look at the way he's talking. It has to come from this area. It was so popular that everybody started talking like that. So you can't really. I mean, you can, to, but there's a chance that it doesn't line up. Those who study linguistics could probably figure it out. It would just take a very, very long time to yeah. pinpoint and again, it. you're not you don't have any written history to really go off of. Right. Now that apart, there are frequent message of strong winds blowing from the direction of Thrace and Northwest in his works. This led to the belief that he may have come from one of these three cities. At the same time, he had often been referred to as Melisinganes, son of Meli. Now, Meli is a river in Smyrna, and it led many to believe that he was actually born in Smyrna. Moreover, in around 6th century BC, a family believed to be Homer's descendants was found to be living in Chos. Some, however, refer to it as a guild of bards known as the Homerade, or the Sons of Homer. Not Gatorade. Homerade. When you're, when you're, when you're in class and you're writing those essays and you feel your electrics, electrolytes going down, grab some Homerade. Or my coffee. Or your coffee. Whoever they might have been, the members not only claimed that the bard was their ancestor, but it also helped in preserving and propagating his works by religiously memorizing and reciting them. Now, the Iliad and the Odyssey are fairly long. So memorizing them and reciting them by heart, I imagine, would take a great amount of time. Well, it'd just be like any other actor memorizing their lines. No, because most actors don't just memorize their lines. They memorize parts and then they they go they memorize scenes now if they're on like broadway or something sure but i the iliad and the odyssey are a lot longer than most broadway shows touche because of this the residents of chos claim that homer came from their city roman satirist lucian had added another twist to his already complex to this already complex subject depicting homer as a babylonian named tigrans he goes on to say that it was Tigrans who took up the name Homer after he had been taken captive by the Greeks. Isn't it Tigrans? Because isn't it the like the Tigran River? Not that I know of. It's T I G R A N E S. Yeah, but like the the Tigran River, T R T I R. I have no idea. T I G R E. Tigre River. I don't know that. Because it's not pronounced tiger, it's tiger. It's spelled tiger. T-I-G-E-R? Well, T-I-G-R-A. Yeah, so it's tiger. Well, wouldn't tiger have two Gs? Not tiger. Tiger. Tiger? Tigrans. Again, I don't know. It's a possibility. Okay. Okay. That we've had that. You've never heard of elocution it. lesson. Sorry. Now, what little we know about the man himself has come down to us from the stories. Although he had successfully concealed himself in both epics, in the Odyssey he speaks about a blind bard who, according to many scholars, is Homer himself. In the Odyssey, the bard named Demodacus recounts the story of Troy to the shipwrecked Odysseus at the court of the Phaeacian king. A long disquisition on how Demodacus was welcomed into the gathering and regaled the audience with music and epic tales of conflict and heroes to much praise has been interpreted as humor's hints, hope humors, as Homer's hints as to what his own life was like. As a result, Many busts and statues have been carved of Homer with thick, curly hair and beard and sightless eyes. It's another one of the big myths. A lot of people at home, uh, know about Homer was that he was blind. Yeah, a lot of the, the statues and busts that we see of Homer, they, they have the, uh, the little 
his eyes well, covered just, he, with well, and fabric. Well, a lot of them are a lot of them are just his eyes, but there's nothing. Usually, you see ancient statues; their eyes have irises and pupils and everything engraved in them. Homer, the majority of his eyes are just see, all his, his eyes glazed are completely or, white. They're, they have or nothing. They're covered with. I haven't seen any covered with anything. Everyone I I've have. seen is the eyes are just blank, nothing in them. But we'll get to more on that in just a minute about why this is probably also a myth. Okie dokie. Now, in, quote, The Life of Homer, written possibly in the 3rd or 4th century A.D. by someone referred to as Pseudo-Herodias, tells a different story. Here, it claims that Homer, whose original name was Melisengenes was born out of a liaison between Crathus of Argos and his ward, the daughter of Melanopus of Sim of Aeolus. Nonetheless, from Homer's works, one can describe that he must have come from an aristocratic family. The scholars have assumed this because none of his protagonists come from an ordinary background. Episodes such as the beating of a commoner named Thersites also corroborates such beliefs. Some biographers claim that he used to hang around with ordinary folks in port towns, though he was actually a court singer. However, if he did hang around in such places, it must have been to gather material for his works. Get, uh, you know, like actors today really start, you know, they, they work the job that they're going to be acting on sometime. Yes. So they, they have a better idea. It is not known how or when Homer became blind or even if. Many also doubt the theory that he was actually blind for he had depicted the landscapes as well as the events much too precisely to have been able to do so without the help of eyesight. But suggested that he might have developed eye disease later in life. Or he could have had somebody there with him describing the scenery. That is true. That could have been. Now, there's uh, some paintings and sculptures that you'll see. Homer has a small boy with him that follows him around. He could be the one describing things to him. Again, this is all based on just people grabbing stuff out of the air and saying, well, it could have been this and it could have been that because we don't have any real evidence exactly. of any of this. So. Could have been blind from the start, had somebody help him. Could have got eye disease later in life, so he was able to see all that stuff before, and the eye disease caught up to him, and he put that in the Odyssey. Or he was never blind, he just added that as just a little special characteristic. And who knows, he could have lived 500 fucking years. I guess. Maybe. People were healthier back then. Yeah, it was all, it, Yeah, well, they were Greek, so it was all the anal sex and olives, I suppose. Oh, well, I was thinking more along the lines of the uh, um, ambrosia and. I think that was food of the gods. I don't think just regular. Yeah, but Greeks they they ambrosia. shared. They shared. Doesn't ambrosia have marshmallows in it? No, that's ambrosia salad. Oh, okay. Salad's always healthier. <laughs> What's the other thing? Ambrosia and. Uh, I'm going to cause myself to have an aneurysm. Okay, well, don't do that. Well, while you think of that, well, we'll go on. with uh, uh, Every biographer does agree on one fact, though, that he was a wandering minstrel traveling from place to place, singing the stories, stories of the Iliad, the Odyssey, to an extent. It is said that in the course of his traveling, he met Hezoid... H-E-S-I-O-D. Hezoid? Hezoid? Hezoid. Hezoid! Hezoid! Another ancient Greek poet. We've got a bunch more of these names, so just bear with me. At the funeral games of Amphidamus, conducted by his son, Ganictor. I don't know why they couldn't have just named everybody like Steve. Because they're Greek. Or Bill. Okay, Stevius or Billius. 
Eventually, they agreed to take part in the contest of wit. Now, unable to decide uh, who the winner was, the judge asked them both to recite poems, while Homer quoted from the Iliad, Hesoid recited from his works and days. It is said that the judge declared Hesoid the winner because he had talked about peace while Homer's poem was about war. Hmm. Now, Homer's two epic poems have become roadmaps in world mythology. The stories provide an important insight into early human society and illustrate, in some aspects, how little has changed. Even if the Iliad itself seems unfamiliar, the story of the siege of Troy, the Trojan War, Paris' kidnapping of Helen, the world's most beautiful woman, are all familiar characters or scenarios. The Odyssey picks up after the fall of Troy. Now, the author of the Iliad, again, use the word author very loosely, not being the same as the author of the tales of the Odyssey is arguable on several levels. Well, you would say, no, Homer did both of them. There's a chance that he did. It's also give you some evidence and chance that maybe he didn't. The two epics belong what? It's fucking nectar. Oh, yeah. Nectar, yeah. Ambrosia and nectar, the, okay. the food and drink of the gods. Okay. I'm an idiot. I had to pee, and it came out. <laughs> well, and you thought nectar, too. No, that's when the, <laughs> the nectar came out. Because coffee is the ambrosia and nectar of humans. No, it's not. It is for me. Chocolate and coffee. Okay. The two epics belong to two different literary types. The Iliad is essentially dramatic in its confrontation of opposing warriors who converse like the actors in a tragedy or a play with struggle and disappointment. While the Odyssey is a cast is cast as a novel narrated in a more everyday human speech. In their physical structure, also, the two epics display an equally obvious difference. The Odyssey is composed in six distinct parts of four chapters or books each, whereas the Iliad moves unbrokenly forward into its tightly woven plot. Readers who examine psychological qualities see in the two works some distinctly different human responses and behavioral attitudes. For example, the Iliad voices admiration for the beauty and speed of horses, while the Odyssey shows no interest in these animals. The Iliad dismisses dogs as mere scavengers, while the poet of the Odyssey reveals a modern sympathy for Odysseus's faithful old hound, Argos. The strongest argument for separating the two poems... Where's my mouse? There's my mouse. In your hand. Ooh. Is the chronology, or dating, of some of the facts and pieces. In the Iliad, the Phoenicians are praised as skilled craftsmen working in metal and as weavers of elaborate, much-prized garments. In contrast, Greek feelings toward the Phoenicians have undergone a drastic change in the Odyssey. Although they are still regarded as clever craftsmen, the Phoenicians are also described as tricksters, reflecting the invasion of Phoenician commerce into Greek markets in the 7th century. So, again, it's something that happened in the 7th century. Trojan War happened in the 12th, or 13th. So... I mean, you never know. I mean, he could have lived 500 years. He couldn't have lived 500 years. He could have. No, he couldn't have. Let's you just, don't let's know. Throw that out. You don't. People don't live that long. The life expectancy has changed dramatically over the last. Not by 500 years. Thousands of years. Not by 500 years. It could have. It you do not. not know. I. It did not. It did not. Or he could have had ghostwriters. Uh. No. Because again, he could. If he lived at the time of the Trojan War, he would have a hard time writing about all the stuff that was happening in the Odyssey when it happens. You know, four or five hundred years later. And the Greeks and Romans did invent writing. Not yet they hadn't. The, 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 the way of writing for stories, things like this, didn't exist yet. They could have written symbols on papyrus. 
But again, that type of thing didn't exist yet. There's there's archaeological and historical proof of when people really started to write things down, and it doesn't happen for hundreds of years still. Okay, so telling tales. He could have been told the tales from other people from the 7th century, and he it may not be his original story, but he wrote it. Well, we'll get to more of our opinions here in a little bit. Let's talk about the poems. Now, the Iliad deals with only a small portion of the Trojan War. In fact, it covers only a few months during the 10th year of that war. The ancient Greek audience, however, would have been familiar with all the events leading up to the 10th year and during the course of the Iliad. Homer makes many references to various past events. The story of the Iliad has it had has its actual beginning in the creation of the Great Wall at Troy. The Trojans enlisted the aid of the sea god Poseidon, one of your favorites. Got the yes, tattoo, got right the tattoo here. right there. To help build the wall. However, after the wall was constructed, Poseidon demanded his just compensation, and the Trojans reneged. Consequently, Troy was without divine protection, and in fact, Poseidon became its enemy. At the time of the Trojan War, Troy was ruled by King Priam, who was married to Hecuba. According to legend, Priam and Hecuba had 49 children, including the war Hector, the prophetess Cassandra, and the young lover Paris, also known as Alexandros. Dephobus is also one of the children of Priam and Hecuba. I don't know why really they throw him in there with this, uh, but I kept it in in case any of you know who Dephobus is. I personally don't. I remember reading his name in some form of mythology, but right now I can't place who he is. Now, what? it's been a long time since I read the Iliad, like high school, so I don't remember how important he is to anything, but I kept him in there for those of you who do. Now, when Hecuba was pregnant with Paris, she had dreamed that Paris would be the cause of the destruction of Troy. An oracle and a seer confirmed that the sun would indeed be the cause of the total destruction of the noble city. Therefore, for the sake of the city, Hecuba agreed to abandon her newborn infant to die of exposure on Mount Ida. But Paris was saved by shepherds and grew up as a, sh- as a shepherd, ignorant of his royal birth. And hilarity ensues. Not really. Many people died. He will go on to kidnap uh, uh, Helen of Troy, most beautiful woman in the world, apparently. And, uh, yeah, death. Today's episode is brought to you by our brand new exclusive discount code for thebeardstruggle.com. Ladies, you know that man in your life with the big, beautiful beard? Or the one trying to grow a beard, even if it's just a little stubble? Well, what you might not know is that the skin underneath all that face fur can get dried out and super itchy, causing scratching that leads to flaking, and if there's anything worse than head dandruff, it's beard dandruff. That's why we've teamed up with TheBeardStruggle.com. They know what goes into having a big, glorious beard, hence the name. And they've created some of the best products in the market to help the man in your life tame those majestic chin locks and soothe the skin underneath. Be it the day and night oils, which keep the beard soft and the skin moisturized, and they smell great by the way, or the beard straightener that calms those extra curly face hairs and makes that beard look fuller and healthier. Kevin uses these products and his beard has never looked, felt, or smelled better. And I, I really enjoy playing with the beard now. Beardstruggle.com uses 100% all-natural ingredients, they never test on animals, and have a 90-day money-back guarantee. All you have to do is go to thebeardstruggle.com, all one word, or click on the link in the show notes, and don't forget to use our exclusive discount code, AUDIO15, for 15% off at checkout. That's A-U-D-I-O-1-5 for 15% off your entire order. Go now! Now, the Odyssey is Homer's epic of Odysseus, ten, oh, his 10-year struggle to return home after the Trojan War. 
Now, while Odysseus battles mystical creatures and faces the wrath of the gods, his wife Penelope and his son Telemachus stave off suitors vying for Penelope's hand and Ithaca's throne long enough for Odysseus to return home. The Odyssey ends as Odysseus wins a contest to prove his identity, slaughters the suitors, and retakes the throne of Ithaca. I believe it was a, an archery skill that he showed, wasn't it? Shot a bow, an arrow. Again, yeah, I haven't I, read any of these I books. I think forever, so. But I think that's what it was. Now, on to the Homeric hymns, which, again, not sure that he wrote all of these or spoke all of these, but they are attributed to him. It's a collection of 34 ancient Greek poems in Homeric hexameter and addressed to gods. Though ascribed in antiquity to Homer, the poems actually differ wildly in date and are, and are of unknown authorship. The collection is incomplete, contains major hymns to Demeter, Apollo, Hermes, and Aphrodite, but only short pieces to Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, Athena, Artemis, Hephaestus, and Ares. The opening hymn to Dionysus is severely mutilated at the beginning. <laughs> now, there's 34 of them. Let's go through them. The first hymn to Dionysus, which is fragmented. The second is to Demeter, recounts the story of Demeter and her daughter Persephone. The third is to Apollo, which is about the birth and life of Apollo and his sister Oh, fuck, I know her name. It's uh, uh, Artemis. Artemis, there you go. The fourth is to Hermes. It's about his birth and his life. Fifth to Aphrodite, which talks about the beauty and allure of Aphrodite. The sixth is to also Aphrodite, which describes her floating up from the sea and being wafted ashore by the wind. The seventh is, is up to Dionysus. A hymn describes the dramatic way in which he reveals his power to the as the god of wine. The eighth is to Ares, which just pretty much praises Ares. Ninth is to Artemis, which is about Artemis's skill with a bow. Ten is to Aphrodite, who gives more mortals soothing gifts. The eleventh to Athena, the tribute to Athena for bringing the armies home safely. Athena's a badass, and she's my favorite. The twelfth is to Hera, which is about her life and marriage to Zeus. Who's a cheating motherfucker. The 13th is to Demeter. It is the shortest in the collection. It contains only an introduction and a conclusion. The body of the hymn has been lost. So there may have been more to it, but we don't know. 14 is to the mother of the gods. Now, it's not clear to whom this hymn is paying tribute, possibly to Rhea, who was, one of, who was the mother to six of the Olympian gods and goddesses. But it could also be to Demeter, or Gaia. It would Earth. have to be Gaia, because she's the mother of the gods. Well, no, she's the mother of the Titans. Yes, and Rhea was the mother of six of the Olympian gods and goddesses. Yes. But they are but with the way the hymn goes, they're not sure this is historians and then you know literary historians who have gone through this, and they're not quite sure who exactly they're talking about. Number fifteen is to Hercules, the Lionheart. Praises the demigod half mortal Hercules. 16 to Aslupus, A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-S. With the C there, it's Acalupus or... A-S-C. Ascalupus. We'll go with that. Son of Apollo and Cronus, the world's first doctor. Ooh, Apollo. Ooh. Okay, way to go. 17 is to the sons of Zeus. It's about Castor and Polydeuces. The, son, the sons of Zeus, Zeus and Leda, raised by Leda and her husband, Pindarius. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds about right. 18 is to Hermes, the mother of Maya, daughter of Atlas. She lived in a cave where Zeus uh, used to visit her in secret. Neither God nor mortal knew about the affair until... Hermes' birth. Yeah. Okay. 
It's about, you know, it's about pretty much about Hermes, about the love affair that Zeus, the cheating that Zeus did. And Zeus did a lot of fucking cheating. Yeah. 19. It's to Pan. You have a big smile on your face. The goat hoof, two horned lover of Clamor that also happened to be Hermes' son. 20 is to Hephaestus, about him training the people of how to work with fire and live comfortably. 21 is to Apollo, addressing Apollo by one of his other names, Phobius. To the speaker says that even the swans sing about him. Yeah, Apollo has a a god complex. Well, don't they all kind of? They're all gods. No, like, they, they do, but Apollo is, he, he's got a god complex worse than the others. Uh, 22 is to Poseidon, about how Zeus chose the earth, and Poseidon chose the sea. 23 is to Zeus, calls him the far-seeing sovereign from whom fulfillment comes, adding that he is Kronos' greatest son. 24 is to Hestia, the goddess of the hearth, and devotes her time to caring for the home. 25 is to the Muses, Apollo, and Zeus, uh, the Muses and Apollo, have taught people on Earth to sing and play the lyre, while Zeus has taught them to be kings. 26, to Dionysus, a brief biography of Dionysus, son of Zeus and Semele. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Semele? 27, is to Artemis, about her prowess as a hunter. 28, is to Athena, recounts the curious circumstances of Athena's birth as she... Stephanie, how was Athena born? She was born by bursting forth through Zeus's uh, head. Fully clad in golden armor and brandishing a spear. Yes. That's how I want my children to be born. But Zeus had a horrible headache and then boom. Maybe that's what it is. (laughs) Maybe maybe we're finally having our child together and they're just going to come bursting out of your fucking head. (laughs) Fully grown, in armor, spear in hand. All my wisdom coming out of my head hey. in a in a full-bodied human. Man, I've been looking at this the, the whole <laughs> wrong way all this time. Fuck. Ah. Uh, 29 is to Hestia, tells his listeners that the goddess Hestia has earned the right to a permanent seat in the home of the gods as well as the home of mortals. 30 is to the earth. The mother of all, this hymn honors Earth, the first and eldest goddess who feeds all living creatures and sends both children and harvests. 31 is to the sun. The sun, Helios, is the child of Hyperion and Europhasia. Mm-hmm. I got that right? Mm-hmm. Well, fucking look at me. Whose other children are the dawn and the moon. Part of the hymn has been lost. 32 is to... Is it Selene or Selene? Selene. Selene, goddess of the moon. 33 is to the sons of Zeus, praises two of Zeus, two sons of Zeus, Castor and Polydeuces. And the last is to the hosts for a farewell from the speaker. Awesome. That's all you got. I went through all that and awesome's all I get. They're missing Hades, though. Like, why the fuck doesn't Hades get a him? Because this was. Hades is always kind of seen as as the bad guy. But he's not. But that's what he's seen as. You, you, you know, you look at Zeus is the, the king of the, you know, the land, and Poseidon's king of the sea, and uh, every, pretty much everything they spoke about was praises to everybody. But they didn't speak about Hades because that would be praising death, and that's not something they wanted to do. No, but see, Hades deserves most of the praise because he leads you into the underworld, and there are different places in the underworld to where everyone goes. And Thanos, not Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? He's inevitable. <laughs> um, yeah, sna- yeah, yeah, snap it. <laughs> You Kronos? just made Kronos. Yes, Kronos is is cut into a million different pieces and thrown into Tartarus. But you know, you've got all these different levels in the underworld. But Hades takes care of all of that. And he gets no praise whatsoever and that's why he's constantly trying to take over Mount Olympus and he deserves praise just as much as anybody. I feel bad for Hades. Hades is kind of like, he's the bad guy in the movie, 
that when you're you watch it the first time, you're like, all right, we beat him, and then you watch it a couple more times, you're like, wait, the bad guy's right. There's a lot of movies where the bad guy's actually right. Yeah, he's not a bad guy. But he's seen as the bad guy because he's the guy who deals with death. He's when you, he, you know, everybody, nobody wants to die. And so when you die, he's the one who, who gets you. So he's seen as the bad guy because that's the one thing nobody wants. He's the one who protects you when you're in the people underworld. But people don't look at it that way. They look at him as the, the, the lesser son of the three that he got. You know, because he wasn't good as good as Zeus or as good as Poseidon, he got the shit gig because he was the you know the bad one. He's the evil one. He chose the underworld. Okay. I I love it. My my top three favorite Greek gods and goddesses: Athena, Hades, Poseidon. Okay. I I, 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 don't know what to tell you. I love Hades. I do. Get that time machine built. Go back to. Ancient Greece. Ancient Greece. And slap Homer around a little bit if he exists. Be like, hey, what about Hades? I'd be going to Hades' temple and be I'd be praising him all the time. Okay. Well, they just found a uh, uh, an old temple for Odin and Thor in Norway. Maybe there, there still might be those temples that you can go pray to now. Yeah. Well, when we ever go to Athens... Uh, well, it's on the list. I know. The list. You just made the list. Okay. Now Wait, this, did you just click your invisible pen? I, I, I did. <laughs> I the list. You clicked your invisible pen. You're so cute. Now, despite the differences of opinions as to Homer's birth and travels, there, are at least, there at least seems to be some agreement as to how and where Homer died. Presumably, at an early stage of his life, he was told by an oracle that he would die on the island of... I- of Ios from an illness caused by a riddle posed to him by some boys. It's a very specific, odd way of dying. As strange as this may seem, it was common knowledge in classical times that when Homer was on the island of Ios, he encountered some Akkadian boys returning from a day of fishing. Homer inquired as to how their luck had been, and the boys replied, quote, the ones we caught, we left behind. The ones we missed, we carry. The boys were jokingly referring to the fact that the fishing had been unproductive and they had spent their idle time removing lice from their clothing. Homer was so distraught by the incomprehensible answer the boys had given him to a seemingly simple question that he fell into a desperation so deep that he could not eat or sleep and finally died. Another version of Homer's death was put forth in the contest of Homer and Hesoid. I hit the table, I'm sorry. Stating that Homer understood what the boys meant and recognized the event as an omen of his impending death. After composing his own epitaph, Homer slipped on clay and died from the injury. People of Ios erected a grave marker that said, Here the earth conceals that sacred head adorner of warrior heroes, the godly Homer. Hmm. Now, now I will ask you, Stephanie, what are your thoughts on the existence of Homer? I think he probably was a man that did exist. Okay. I think he probably was a traveling bard that heard stories from many other traveling bards. Mm Mm-hmm. And he just kept adding more and more to his epic tale because it wasn't a poem. It was an epic tale. Well, it's technically, it's considered two epic poems, but. It's an epic, not a poem. It's an epic. It could be an epic poem. And I think that it just kept going on and on and on. And once he passed away. Maybe somebody else named Homer, because it was a very common name in Greece, Mm -hmm. continued the legacy and kept it going over a 500-year period. That's pretty close to what I think. I think he lived close to the times of the Trojan War and uh, came up with the whole story on his own or 
pulled from many different uh, perspectives and came up with the story and other people it, it got maybe even ceremonially passed down from one minstrel to another and things got changed over time but one after another okay now you're Homer okay now you're Homer until we get to the Odyssey and then somebody creates who goes by the name Homer creates the whole story of the Odyssey because the Iliad and the Odyssey are two completely different structured stories they're if you didn't say they were written by the same person, nobody would really think that they were written by the same person because they are structured differently, they are spoken differently. And I think that somebody along the line came up with the Odyssey, called themselves Homer, almost like the uh, um, Homerades. They <laughs> they they learned, they memorized the whole story, and it's like a, it's a game of telephone. Things get kind of changed over time, but I think that. I honestly think that Homer is several different people over centuries of time. And there's even one that I saw that there was strong evidence that Homer may have possibly been at least at one point a woman. So that's where I stand and where you stand. Uh, please feel free to let us know where you stand at home. Tweet us or, or email us. Now, in any regard... Whether he or she was a person, several people, over the years of oral storytelling, we are left with still two of the most iconic and standard-setting epic poems in history that are still revered as the benchmark to this day. And that, my friends, is the possible life of the one, possibly many, or Homers. Or Homers. <laughs> Homies. Homies. Did you just do... <laughs> I did. Groovy. Homies. <laughs> he did the surfers what up thing. It's groovy. Not everybody knows what groovy means. Oh, if you don't, you should. Groovy. You gotta put the... You, you put the, the it's a that, surfer thing. The hang ten out there. Yeah, the, the hang ten. The thumb and the pinky with the... Jiggle it a little bit. Jiggle groovy. it a little bit. Groovy. Jiggle it just All a right, little bit. Okay. Well, what'd you think? I liked it. I loved it. Good. I was kind of hoping you would. It was a great surprise. Good. I'm glad. I don't know if we'll ever go back this far again. Um, this God, it was difficult getting everything. This this one episode, uh, you know, one episode on this guy or whoever took a long time to put together because I had to go through just websites and, and everything just to try to find. Gobs of information. Just, just find anything that was different from one to another. Just. Because I was looking for conflicting theories. and Because one person has one theory, another person has another theory. Because that's what I wanted this one to be about. We can't really give you the biography because we don't know. But we can give you all the theories and let you make up the mind, your mind, yourself. Now, at the end of last episode, our weekday Cliff Notes episode, I said we'd have some big news. So, here it is. We have, a lot of you know that we have another podcast called I Know It's Not Real, But That Had to Hurt. It's a wrestling podcast. That podcast, when we started doing this, we always said, as long as it's fun, we'll keep doing it. But once it starts to not be fun and feel like work, we're done. Unfortunately... Doing that podcast quickly began to feel like more of a chore than a perk. It did. It, 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 I didn't watch wrestling for a long time. And then when we started watching again, I loved it. And then it slowly started to feel like, oh, it's something that we had to do. So every once in a while, we'd, we'd skip an episode or you'd watch some and I would just say, you watch whatever you want. I'm just going to go play on my phone or do whatever. I wouldn't care. And then when we started the podcast, because we still love talking about it with one another. Right. Even though we don't, even though we're not doing the podcast, we still will sit down and, and while we're and, watching. Yeah. So it began to be a chore to watch wrestling. And that's when it stopped being fun. And the podcast, sitting down and talking with each other about it was fun. 
but it's the lead up to it, everything after it. Uh, so we decided that we weren't going to do it anymore, at least not for a while. Maybe someday we'll, yeah. we'll do another episode. I still love doing the Mount Rushmores. I do you. too. So uh, we might come up with something in the future. But for now, we're not going to do that show anymore. Now, why does this pertain to open a fucking book? Well, that means we go from being audio parfait, we'll go from being a one, a two podcast network, which, okay, to a one podcast network, which is weird because networks don't just have one. So, if you notice the beginning of the episode, there was no audio parfait. That is be- and if you noticed at the uh, cover art, the audio parfait has been gone. We are going to shelve the network for the time being. Will we ever get it back out? Maybe. It seems like starting the network so early in this whole thing might have kind of stifled some opportunities that we would have had with not even so much as getting on another network, but with um, collaborating with people from other networks and stuff like that. So we're going to shelve it for a while. Don't know if it'll ever come back out. We might do a different thing. Who knows? But for now, that'll be gone. And lastly, we will no longer be doing a Saturday author series. We have sat down and discussed about it's hard to sometimes record when we absolutely need to record in order to get the episode out on Saturdays because I have a lot of editing to do. There's a lot of research that goes into it. We have to make sure that we both feel up to it one more than the other. Sorry. You can't do anything about it. But we decided that it'd be easier if I had my whole time off from work. I get, you know, a few couple days off that time. I have the whole time to record. So our Saturday series will get moved to Mondays. You will have a new episode up Monday morning. Not this coming Monday. Next Monday it will begin. And our weekday Cliff Notes episodes will get changed from Tuesday night, Wednesday morning to Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Put a little bit more of a buffer in there. So we'll be recording probably Wednesday nights and put them out then. So that's pretty much the big news. No more audio parfait. No more, I know it's not real, but that had to hurt. And the days that we're putting these out are getting changed. Open a fucking book seals. Stay the same, other than the days getting changed. Still doing the author series, just on Mondays. Still doing weekday cliff notes, just pushed up a day. You know, there have been past few weeks we've been doing on Wednesday night, Thursday mornings anyway. Yeah. So that's not that we will change. But you will no longer have a new audio parfait to start your weekend off. Instead, you will start your week off with a new open a fucking book. Yes. All right. So I think that's, I think that's all the, the major news. Okay, so I guess the... Uh, so, let's get to the socials. The social? The, well, we still get... We can give <laughs> ours out still. We are at Open a F-I-N-G Book. Yep. I am at E-C-J-B-A-T. I am Young E-T-A-M 6 on Twitter, Young E-T-A-M on Instagram. Uh, along with getting rid of Audio Parfait, we will no longer have the website either. Uh, no point in keeping that around. I still We still own the rights to the name. But we're going to give up on the website. Just a little bit extra money for us each month because websites, you know, you have to pay for them. But you can go to our Transistor website, which is openanfingbook.transistor.fm. You know, it's a little bit more complicated, but it's really not that hard. And you can email us, openanfingbook at gmail.com. So it's just specifically for this show. So open an effing... We're never going to have open a fucking book for anything. It'll always be open a effing book, and it's all one word. So open an effing book at gmail.com. Okay? Thumbs up, dude. Everybody good? Groovy? Groovy. Two hands. Two hands, Groovy. All right. Uh, Come back. Say we'll have our weekday Cliff Notes episode this coming... This week, and then next Monday, we will begin... Our spooky Halloween series. Ooh. We have a new cover art. Change the music up a little bit. And uh, I can tell you who we're covering. All you should know is that it is a horror author. And it is a very big horror author. So, yay for that. Also, on the 30th, we will have our All the Horrors episode coming out. 
Now, uh, you can go to All the Horrors, look them up. That's uh, another podcast. And they have a website completely dedicated to a month long of horror podcasts, which we are going to be a part of. So look them up. Go give them a listen. A lot of people put a lot of work into it. They're all collaborating with one another. We're still finding somebody to come on our show. I've written some stuff for another show, which when they tell us, you know, when that's coming out, we will let you know. And until then, go to your libraries, go to your bookstores, independent bookstores, buy a book from an independent author if you can. Do whatever you can to help people out. I think that's it. Sounds good. All right. Well, take care of yourself. Take care of one another. Between now and the time we get to talk to you again, do yourself a favor. Go open a fucking book. All right. We'll see. Bye, guys.